sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Our scripture today is from Acts 5, verses, uh, verse 12 to verse 42. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, They called together the council and all the synod of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look! These men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So, uh, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But the Pharisee, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who held an honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a member, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from, the, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Just one more. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. Some of you guys know that one. That's good. Otherwise, it'll be a new song for some of you. But I remember singing that song after each um, baptism in the church where God saved me in Iowa. And um, I just like, wanted to start with that as an invitation to you today, um, to that, to that call, that challenge, um, to follow Jesus into the life of the cross. Um, we're going to be asking this question today: Why is the church persecuted? And um, I want to show you that it's because God's work is shown through it and because it brings new birth. So we're going to see that the church is persecuted because it shows God, God's worth and it brings new birth. You can say that with me. It shows God's worth and brings new birth. Amen. Amen. And um, yeah, we're in cross church today. I think that's just right, right on, on, on the mark because... That's what we're, we're called to as we follow Jesus. That's what we're called to as we step into this life of following him. We see him on the cross, and the world says, look at that man. He's bloodied. He's brutalized. That's ugly. But the invitation of the cross is to us to say, we see that. We see that life of, of self-sacrifice, and we see it as beautiful. And we want to look at the cross, and we want to step into it. So I just want to prepare you for this topic today that we're going to talk about. I'm prepare you to consider responding at the end of the service today. I'm going to ask you to consider this life, this call to a life of, of persecution. You ready for that? You ready for that? My, <laughs> my name is Christian Roth, like, like Pastor Eric said, and I am a church planter here through the IMB, um, and also through Acts 29. That's, that's the organization that kind of got us to this city. So um, we've been partnering with FIBC and doing some different things together, and it's just been a real blessing. So also I wanted to mention that I do a, a, a daily devotional that I send out on email, and we're also doing some monthly prayer gatherings. So if you'd like to hear any more about that, um, let me know. I post it on the Facebook group as well. So the series that we've been in is Acts, and we've been asking this question, how much does our church today 
look like the early church, right? So, and today we're going to be looking at the church persecuted. The church is persecuted. So what is persecution? I want to define persecution as this. It's any hostility we face specifically because of the gospel. Does that make sense? Any hostility we face specifically because of the gospel. In the West here, in, in, in Denmark maybe especially, but America, it's easy to say persecution, you know, like that's not really a thing here, you know. But the fact is, I think persecution in this part of the world carries with it the same threat. It's the threat of exclusion. It's the threat of, you know, if someone murders you on a cross, you at least maintain the dignity of, of, of your own sense of like, but like this, this, when someone snubs you and excludes you from society, it's the same principle of exclusion that we're being threatened by. So just as much as a club can crush a body, a snub, it can crush our soul. It really can. So I think it's important that we think about that. Um, maybe you're here today thinking, persecution, that's intense. I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus anymore, <laughs> or I ever did. Um, how does this relate to me? But, but I, think, I think if we think broadly about persecution as this question of, of unjust hostility, right? Hostility that's not merited. For the religious of us, it's more this idea of a morally upright person who doesn't get their due in life, like the book of Job or something like that. Um, it's someone who has obeyed the maxims, of moral maxims of humanity, and, but nonetheless, they're sidelined or, or not given a successful life. For, maybe, maybe you're a person who you don't really know where you stand with Jesus. Maybe you're an irreligious person. Um, in that case, persecution may mean for you this idea of, of the systematic oppression of a minority group, who even though they work really hard, they're, they're sidelined in a culture. So the, the question we're asking is relevant to all of us today, right? And, and the, we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible have to say about persecution? Why is the church persecuted? Okay? So, three points today. You follow that? And they're all Bs, so we're going to be good Baptists today. Um, we are. We're going we're to talk a little bit about Baptists today. That'll be fun. Um, the first is that persecution makes us brave. The second is that persecution makes us believe. And the first one is that persecution makes us better. You can say that with me too. Say brave, believe, better. We're divided in three sections. This is like a perfect Baptist church. This really does remind me of like good old Baptist church. Small, everything. Yeah, it's good. Let me just say a quick prayer. Lord, um, we love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for just the reading of the word publicly here from Conrad and just, there's a lot in here in this text. There's a lot of challenging things, and I just pray that we would be, we would be challenged. Uh, we pray that your Spirit, most of all, would be here with us um, to uh, to give us clarity about what the Word says and, and how we might apply it. I pray specifically for myself, Lord, that you keep me keep me walking with you in the, in this process here today. Keep my mind um, just in touch and in step with the text and the Spirit, and and that you would strike from the record anything that's not of you. Amen. All right, so first of all, persecution makes us brave. So, when we face hostility, it causes us to count the cost, okay? Count the cost. Look at verse 33 if you have your Bible open, and also verse 41. We see in verse 33, a very clear line drawn in the sand. Um, when the people heard this, 
they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Okay? Um, and then in verse 41, the people, these, the apostles, when they left the presence of the council after all this um, being thrown in prison and being threatened, they, they, they counted it worthy. They counted themselves worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. So there's this thing happening in the story of the book of Acts where they're realizing more and more the cost following Jesus. If you look back to the previous chapter, they actually said uh, there's a similar dynamic happening where it wasn't altogether clear that they were going to have to be jailed, maybe killed, but now they come out much more boldly. In in chapter 3, they say the same verse or the same phrase, we we must obey God rather than men. But in chapter 3, when they say it, they pose it as a question. They say to the authorities, why don't you decide? Should we obey God rather than men? And it's almost kind of like, well, maybe they'll kind of side with us. But then they come out in chapter 4, and now that they're being confronted again, they just cut right to the chase. We must obey God rather than men. They have counted the cost in this text. They have realized what it means to follow a resurrected and crucified Jesus, and they have said, I have decided to follow Jesus. So this is not a political endorsement, but there's a biopic about the leader uh, of, of the, the communist revolution in Cuba called Che, a, a biopic. I think it's on Netflix or something. Um, but there's this really great illustration of this where he's got this kind of band of scrappy guys with like machine guns, and they're going to take on the whole Mexico uh, or the, the whole army. I think it was in Mexico or something. I don't remember the plot exactly, but, but it's just this scene where like people are starting to die and they realize what they're up against. There's literally just this band of like scrappy, idealistic communists, you know, and he gets them together, and he says, here's the deal, we're going to go into the city, and many of us are going to die, you know, and most generals, when they have this kind of like a motivational talk, that gives them inspirational vision, and they're like, for God and country, and all this kind of stuff, but he literally, his motivational talk is to do this, if you're not willing to die right now, please leave, like, you are not welcome in this little troop, this little army, if you're not willing to die. The point is, when you, when, you, when you ask these folks to count the cost, what ends up happening is that they become more committed in the long run. That's what he's counting on. He's counting on that if they decide to die that very day, regardless of what happened, then even if they're fewer in number right there, they will be more effective when they go to fight. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's making them brave. That's what the apostles are experiencing. They're becoming braver by counting the cost. I was a part of InterVarsity um, Christian Fellowship in the, in the States for four years at a college campus there, and we went through a really interesting thing as an orga- organization where kind of the LGBTQ agenda type stuff was becoming really popular to talk about and very political. And InterVarsity was always really good about working with all different kinds of students, but suddenly there was this issue that came up, and they had to take a stance. Well, well, well we know what we believe, but we haven't really made it public. It's been confusing. So they come out with a stance being clear that they're, you know, they believe the Bible says specifically that, you know, sex is for, for, for marriage between a man and a woman and these kind of things. And it, it created this huge storm, especially in California, which is one of the biggest states for university in the entire U.S. They had like 600 chapters or something, and a lot of them on public university. So what ended up happening as a fallout was that all of the chapters on the public universities in California were removed from their formal status as a student group. 
And like, this was very concerning, obviously, for infarsity. But what ended up happening is that those groups became more, they became more effective. They became a deeper community that loved more radically than before when they had a status where they got money and, and recognition and advertising rights from the campus. Now, all of a sudden, they were a persecuted, more or less, you know, and that gave them a greater courage, not a lesser courage. And that, I think, is what God is inviting us to by seeing the church persecuted here. And so just to apply this point to us today, I want to encourage you guys to be braver Baptists. Be braver Baptists. Um, so persecution, obviously, is not exclusive to Baptists. Um, this is a Baptist church. Um, but we Baptists, we certainly seem to be really good at getting persecuted, don't we? Um, and that's because after the Reformation, Denmark is actually a really great example of this. Uh, the Baptists were the ones who really went to the book of Acts, and they were like, wait a minute, we can't just change the theology, we have to change the whole practice. You know, and so in, in, in Denmark, actually in Copenhagen, there's this guy named Julius Kupner. He was the first Baptist who, he ended up arguing for Danish relig- religious freedom because he was part of the Baptists who refused to have their children baptized, and they were being persecuted for it. So a big part of how religious freedom happened in Denmark is because of the Baptists. But the historic Baptist teaching has always been a reminder that, that we are a counterculture in the church. And that means that we are not going to be on the same page with the culture, right? It means that we are not citizens primarily of this world. And if we don't find ourselves in experiences where people are hostile to us because of our faith, you know, well, that means maybe we need to wrestle with our own faithfulness. We need to wrestle with our own discipleship. Like, why, why am I so cozy with a culture? You know, that's something that I've had to wrestle at, at various times in my life. Wait a minute. Why do I not have people that are hostile to me? Um, it's a question worth asking. Obviously, you can get funny about that, but now, and I'm not telling you guys that you have to be Baptist to, to serve and be a part of this church. Many of you maybe don't come from that background, but, but I do think reading this text and, and considering this historic Baptist teaching, consider evaluating your life. When was the last time that because of your purity, your conviction, and your courage for Jesus earned you hostility from your boss, from your neighbors, your family? I want to encourage you today to make it the day where you commit yourself to being a braver member of FIBC. Is that something you think about today? Yeah? All right, so that's brave. First of all, the church is persecuted because it makes us brave. Secondly, it makes us believe. It makes us believe when we face hostility, God advances our witness. When we face hostility, God advances our witness. And we can see this in the text in verse 1 and verse 34. Oh, sorry, first one from the following chapter. But at least look at verse 34 if you have this one open. Um, and this is where we see a Pharisee of the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. And he, and he, um, he stands up and he said, let's have the men outside for a little while and have a little chat. And he says, men of Israel, take care. Anyway, there's this 
opening of a door for favor in the council with this man named Gamaliel. Interestingly enough, as I was studying this, many of you maybe know this, Gamaliel was um, very influential in the life of Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. And I don't know what Luke is doing here in this passage, but it seems like he's kind of saying like, hey, maybe this is what led to that a little bit, right? Like, because Gamaliel kind of saw their courage and saw the intensity of their their witness and, and saw this thing happening, he opened a door to Paul becoming a believer. And the point that I'm making here is just that persecution gives us a credibility with the world. It gives us an opportunity to witness in an effect, more effective way. For a watching world, the thing is, persecution distinguishes religion from gospel fellowship. It distinguishes just broad, moral human beings getting together and making some rules together from a supernatural thing that's happening. And why is that? One, it's because they see us valuing God over his gifts. Because when we come to church and, you know, we're nice people and we go to church on Sunday and we have the car and we have the kids and we have the job, the world looks at us and they go like, that's what I want. They just have what I want, plus a little Jesus bumper sticker, right? But when we're persecuted and we and we cling to Jesus, that's when they say, they are not getting what I want, and yet they still have a hope, and they have a joy. Um, kids' birthday parties are a big thing in Denmark. We've been learning Danish and learning Danish culture the last year and a half. It's very great. It's been good. But uh, kids' birthdays here are a big deal, and they just dream about these birthdays. And my daughter, Haven, had a birthday this week, and she actually shares a birthday with with a girl in her class the same day. And her mom was in the States. She's in the States right now, by the way. She's not here. Um, for her birthday, and she was so sad. And we actually had to reschedule her birthday party because she got sick. But this other girl was having a birthday on her birthday, same day. They had a birthday party, and we were a little worried, like, oh, it's going to be all about her, and it's, it's Haven's day. And, but this girl, she was so sweet because at the party, she was willing to, to share the attention of the birthday party with Haven with my daughter, which was like, oh, so sweet, you know. Um, she even said, like, one of the Danish flags can be for you, one is for me. They both got a little gift at the end. Not at all what we were planning, but it was just so sweet. And that showed me that this girl, she had other value besides just the, the kind of attention to herself, right? It, it suddenly, I'm like, wow, this girl is legit. You know, that's how I felt in that moment. And that's, I think, what the world experiences when they see us as, as, as Christians, suffering for, for, for the gospel, they say like, oh, wait a minute, like they're not just doing the it's my party, I can cry if I want to thing. Like they're, they're, they're ready to count the cost and to do that. The other thing the world sees is that we're not just, we're not just power hungry moralizers, right? We're, we're different. We have a different set of values. Like, so just ask yourself that. Do you see people saying things like you're different? You love me. You don't judge me. You're not like the religious people I know. If so, you know, like, 
What is it that's making people say that about you? Like, press into that today. But if not, consider this question. Am I avoiding persecution? Am I too friendly with society? Am I, check your heart today, you know? Can we do that together? I'm doing it too, if we're willing. Um, Eric and I have been having some time together in the office lately, and I was very surprised a couple weeks ago where he, can't help us smile, he mentioned um, that he'd seen the Taylor Swift documentary. Seen the Taylor Swift documentary? Which um, apparently Tay-Tay's coming to Roskildefest in Denmark, little Denmark, Taylor Swift. So, um, yeah, look out for those. Take tickets, but, but we, were, we got to talking about it, and um, it's this really interesting documentary. My wife is really big into Taylor Swift, so I'm not. I am because I love her, but the, um, the, the story kind of follows her life, and now she's like basically the richest pop singer ever or something like that. It's crazy how much power she has. But at first, she was just this little goody-two-shoes country singer, right? And everybody was like, ah, she's just perfect blonde, little thing, you know, like no one took her seriously. But then there was this moment early on where she got some award, I forget what award it was, like some little award. Um, and Kanye West kind of got up on stage because Beyonce was maybe going to get the award too, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but, um, and so Kanye gets up there and says, like, basically, Taylor, you should not have gotten this award, Beyonce should have gotten it because you're, you're dumb and stupid or whatever, drama, you know. But, but the thing is, what happened after that is that people really felt bad for Taylor Swift, but she also responded really, like, in a non-dramatic way. She was really like, oh, you know, like, I don't want to make a big deal about it. And she was really forgiving. And in that moment, people were like, people like my wife, for example, who does not usually like pop music like this, she's like, this girl is, like, legit. Like, she has character. She has integrity. She writes thoughtful things. She thinks she says. And so, like, all of a sudden, the persecution that she went through here, persecution, um, it made her more credible. It made her more believed. Is that a legitimate illustration? I don't know. All those illustrations break down at some point. But So, first of all, persecution makes us brave. Second of all, God uses it to advance our witness. It actually makes us more effective. It makes us believed by people, not just heard. And lastly, it makes us better. Better. You guys all say that back to me so I know you're not sleeping. Just give me the three points. Brave. Believe better. Good. There'll be coffee soon. Better. So better, this means that God initiates hostility against his church to transform and refine us. Yes, you heard me right. God initiates hostility against his church to transform and refine us. Um, I had an old marine theology professor he was an ex-Marine in Moody in Chicago. He would always say, he would use the Marine hands. He'd be like, he'd be like, saints, suffering, persecution can make you bitter or better. Bitter. I'll never forget it. <laughs> bitter or better. <laughs> and, and he's right. He's right. Um, persecution makes us better. You see, Satan counts on the fact that there's a lot of religious people in the church who want the same things as the world. They just want Jesus' bumper sticker on. So when he persecutes them, he knows what's going to happen. They're going to they're gonna fall. They're going to just collapse. They're going to, they're out. I didn't sign up for that. Right? 
Um, but what does the gospel say about persecution? And that's what I want to get at in this third point. It makes us better. And I'm going to step away from the text a little bit here. I feel that freedom for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is because Jesus predicted what's happening here in Acts chapter 5. In Luke 21, 12 to 15, Jesus just basically predicts this scene. He says, you're going to stand before council. And then he says, it's going to get worse than actually this. It's going to get worse, and it will continue to get worse for the church. But Jesus predicted this, and Jesus, Jesus wrote history. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he wrote history, especially the story of the church. And so when I say that God initiates hostility against his church, I see, say that because Jesus predicted this, and he wrote this story. So religion tells us that, that God, God will enable us to be strong moral people that will survive when we face hostility. But the gospel says that God plans persecution. God plans hostility for us. Why? He does that for God's glory and for our joy. Religion says you're strong enough to muscle through persecution. The gospel says Jesus is strong enough. He was persecuted on the cross and that he is the only one with the moral and strength to endure suffering with joy. But then God promises us that he will give us the grace to look to Jesus in that. Romans 8 is an, an extended meditation on persecution. Um, and it says there in verse 17 that, that we are children of God. And then it says this crazy thing, if you've read it recently, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. And then it goes on in verse 37 to say that in Christ, we are more than conquerors of these challenges through him who loved us. What does that mean? What does it mean that we're more than conquerors? Have you read that recently? Well, kind of a weird phrase. People use it in songs. What does that mean? It means that in Christ, we don't just survive. We don't just muscle through it, clench our teeth. It means that in Christ, we see that our suffering and our persecution serves us. It makes us better. It refines us. God uses persecution you see, when God brings hostility into our life, there's, there's always this choice before us. We can run harder after God and his promises, or it's that moment where we say, God, I didn't sign up for this. It's a moment where we say, God, this is not what I need. This is not why I come to church. There's always that choice before us. We say, you know what? I know Jesus is on the cross, but but I I can't follow I can't I can't follow a Jesus that tells me to die. Wait a minute! I didn't sign up. John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, he puts it like this: Suffering is when some created thing is taken from us, so that we can see the Creator better. Suffering and persecution like this is when God is weaning us off of our dependence on the creation so that we might be more dependent on the creator. 
You see the logic there? So there's this great man in England called William Wilberforce, and um, he was a lawyer, trained as a lawyer, and very effective in, in England. Um, and he became a Christian later in his life, and he felt called to, to try to rid England of slavery. And his story is so interesting because he starts and he goes up to to call the parliament and you guys have seen the pictures of the parliament in England. It's like, if you don't win there, you're mocked. And he goes and, and he presents his case for reading England of, of slavery and making you know, abolition, basically. And, and he loses. He loses. And the story goes that he, he continued year after year to stand up before parliament and try to pass this legislation. I think it took him like 20, 25 years and like very close to the end of his career, he finally, it happened. He was able to see it pass. And the reason I'm telling that story in this context is because, is because imagine the impact that had on his career, that he became this Jesus freak probably, right? And he goes up there and he makes a fool of himself saying that they should abolish the slave trade. Because at the time, that would have been the equivalent of like, a quarter of their economy just immediately being absolved. Like, it just would have completely demolished their economy. And imagine year after year going up and doing that again and again and again. And, and, and where did he get the courage to do that? Where, where, where did he, it's because he identifies, he, he sees the Jesus that's on the cross and he says he's worth it. So I want to ask you today to consider that. Have you, have you made that commitment? Have you said to God, you know, I like coming to church. I like, I like making friends at church. That's actually similar to how I came to faith. I started coming to church because I liked finding friends at church. I liked kind of the, the community there, but, but I didn't really value God. And it wasn't until I really started reading some of these things about Romans 8 and and I saw that, that God, he's better. He's better than all these gifts. So I want to ask you right now to just, to just consider this call. Close your eyes if you would for a moment. Close your eyes and just, just think about this call. Do I have, ask yourself this question, do I have the bravery? Do I have the believability in my life? When I face hostility? Is it making me better? And if it's not, today maybe is the day for you to step forward and say, I want to, I have decided, though none go with me, I will follow. And I'm not asking you to, to become a Christian right now. I know most of us in this room believe in Jesus, but, but maybe there's just those, those relationships in your life. There's those relationships at work that you know that if, if, they, if they don't know you're a Christian or if they they don't at least know that, you know, you really believe the Bible, then, then it's going to give you that, that better career opportunity. Or, or maybe that's that friend that's just so important to you that you can't risk the relationship by sharing the gospel with them or by opening the Bible with them. I'm going to ask you to consider making that commitment right now. 
to take that step of following Jesus into persecution. All that means, it doesn't mean that we look to be martyrs, like we walk around playing the victim. It means that we are willing to take risks because we know that persecution makes us better. Right? I'm asking you right now to just consider with the Lord if now is a time for you to take that step as a Christian who doesn't just sit in the pew but risks their reputation, who risks their comfort, who risks their financial security in order to be a witness for Jesus. So if that's, something, if that's something that you want to commit to, I'd ask you to just keep your eyes closed, everybody. I'd ask you to um, just raise your hand. I won't, I won't think anything more or less of you. <laughs> I'm... I, I'm, I'm right with you in that, those of you. There may be some of you for whom you're, you're holding back. You're saying, this is weird. I'm not used to this. And that's totally fine if you feel that way. But there also may be some of you that are, are just, just, you feel weak and fragile. You don't feel like you have what it takes to, you feel like I'm asking you to be some kind of super Christian. <laughs> and that's not, that's not quite the opposite. It's, it's, it's an invitation to, to just walk with Jesus toward the cross. To just decide to follow. Even if no one comes with you. It's embracing your weakness. So if you want to raise your hand and just commit to that, I see those people. I see you people. I see, I see that, that the Lord is using this in your heart. It's not every day we have a moment to think through like this, but I just pray that, that the Holy Spirit would, would be at work. And I pray that you would, um, God, that you would make good on these commitments. I pray that you would work through our own complicated, emotionally complicated, spiritual lives, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us right now. That you would help us, Lord, FIBC, to to embrace the call of risking everything for you. I thank you, Lord, for the people who have committed today, and I pray that by your grace, you would give them the courage to to consider what this looks like for them and to maybe talk with somebody, talk with Pastor Eric or Pastor Conrad or others, talk with me. I pray that you would make FIBC a brave, believe, better community because of Jesus, because of his his glory. It's worth it. Amen. Thank you, guys. 
This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.